Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There was a long, dark era in American business where nobody in a boardroom had any use for morality. Tobacco companies knowingly gave us cancer. Manufacturers didn't care what kind of waste they pumped into the environment. And as long as they were making money, food producers were unconcerned about what they put into our bodies. Now, those days are thankfully behind us. Today, there are for-profit businesses who are not only ethical and socially responsible, but whose very reason for existence is to make the world a better place. The people who founded two of these businesses are my lunch guests today. Fran Troutman is co-founder and co-director of a company called Glass Half Full. Glass Half Full is a manufacturer of sand. Yes, sand, like at the beach. Sand is the second most consumed natural resource in the world after water. To make sand, Glass Half Full pulverizes glass bottles. These are the same wine bottles and empty peanut butter jars you normally put in the trash in New Orleans because the city recycling collectors won't take them. Glass Half Full will take all your bottles and jars. They've been turning glass into sand since February 2020, and they're currently recycling over 30,000 pounds of glass a week. Fran Troutman, this is one heck of a success story. Welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. That was an incredible intro. Will McGrew is founder and CEO of a company called Telelusian. Telelusian is what's called a content creator. They make filmed content for commercial clients, nonprofits, and government agencies. What distinguishes the films that Telelusian makes from everybody else's is language. Telelusian's products are bilingual. They're in English and French. Telelusian's mission is to preserve and promote the French language as it's spoken in Louisiana. You might think, okay, well, that sounds like a worthy cause. Maybe it's a bit like the French club in high school. Well, it's not that. Since starting up in 2019, Telelusian has discovered there's a real demand for French language media in Louisiana, and people are prepared to pay for it. Will McGrew, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Now, Fran, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, all kinds of infrastructure fell apart in New Orleans. When we finally got recycling back, the rules had changed. We were only allowed to recycle paper, plastic, and aluminum cans. Since 2006, everybody here has been asking, why can't we recycle glass? Finally, thanks to you and your company, Glass Half Full, we can. And your meteoric, almost instant success is proof of the years of pent-up demand. I assume that the reason we weren't recycling glass in New Orleans is because it wasn't financially viable. It seems like you've solved that problem by converting glass to sand. Have you figured out a way to make glass recycling profitable in a way that 
nobody here had thought of before? Yeah, I think that that issue is is ringing true all around America. A lot of municipalities are getting rid of glass recycling. Glass has been the first to go. Um, and I think that has to do with our single sort system where we put everything in one bin and then all of that stuff, uh, the glass, the plastic, the pizza boxes, everything is going to one place and then they have to try to separate it. Now imagine you're sorting all this recycling and there's just shards of glass everywhere and you're like, what? I don't want to do this. You know, most people don't want to deal with that. And so I think that's why Glass Half Full has been so successful is that we only collect glass. You know, we're only getting glass. And so we don't have to clean it. We don't have to separate things. We get to see it coming in. It's just glass. You know, we recycle caps and corks, but that's a very small part of it, you know? And so I think that has allowed us to be a lot more successful than most municipalities is that, you know, we're just getting glass and then we're making sand, you know, it's a much more simplified process. And I think a lot of cities around America could learn from that. I'm sure you are a, an example for a lot of cities. That's really terrific. Will, I have to say, as much as I love the French language, Cajun culture in Acadiana, I'm surprised there's a demand for anything formal in the way of filmed content in French in Louisiana. I would have thought uh, Louisiana French is mainly conversational and that the most formalized it would get would be the lyrics of Cajun songs. But I believe that there are more than 30 French immersion schools across Louisiana. And because of that, there's a big market for filmed content that can be used in uh, French education. Had you done market research before you started Louisiana? Were you aware of this thirst for the French language media? If so, why did you think nobody else had done it before? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think it's a, a common misconception. Um, I think that that the real answer to your question, why no one had done it before, I think is largely um, your the, the misconception itself, um, which is something I shared before I got started with Louisiana, which is that Many people think that Louisiana French is just um, folkloric and it's not du bon français, it's not good French or it's not a, a real language. Um, and we're very used to that kind of concept because of the fact that um, there were limited efforts to professionalize and normalize the language, um, especially in areas where it was the, the majority language um, in, in Louisiana. Um, and then also many of the efforts that did existed were thwarted or were insufficiently funded um, since the 60s and 70s. Um, but what we realized is that, in fact, that was really just a political choice and it didn't have to be that way. And the only thing that separates Louisiana from Quebec or Catalonia or the Basque Country or Acadie, where the, the Cajuns were originally from, is that those places decided to, from the public sector and private sector, invest in um, professionalizing the language, normalizing the language um, and making the language a key part of the unique character of the place. And so that it not only um, kept the culture alive, but also was able to be a value add to attract investment um, and new residents and tourists, et cetera. Um, and so, yes, I think a lot of it, a lot of the market research we did was first looking at those models of other um, regions and, and you know, um, regions and provinces that are similar to Louisiana. And so thinking like, like those cases, you know, like Catalonia or like the Basque country, there's a market here, right? You know, just like there, there's people who speak the language or have parents or grandparents who speak the language or have kids in French immersion. But one of the unique advantages of Louisiana French being both a heritage language as well as an international language that in fact is one of the um, most widely spoken languages, French, French I, by that I mean, um, is that we have a much larger market. And so 
we think that there's hundreds of that we know actually that there's hundreds of thousands of Louisianans um, who watch our content and want more of our content. But on the other hand, there's um, hundreds of thousands currently of um, international francophones that watch our content. And the limit there, though, the, up, the upper limit is, is really in the millions. And so um, definitely the market was a little hidden, but both here and around the world, it's there because um, there really isn't anything like Louisiana anywhere else you go. And so um, if we can create content in someone's native language about this really unique place, um, yeah, this, the, the sky is the limit, so to speak. And Fran, there's often a term used uh, when you're bringing something that's already too much of uh, out there already, you know, you bring sand to the beach. That has me asking, where do you sell sand? And is there, this is odd, is there a shortage of sand? Yeah, there actually is a global sand shortage. And you wouldn't think that considering the deserts, the beaches, but um, the thing about deserts is that that's actually a different type of sand than we can use in construction specifically. You need more of a coarse sand. Um, and then in terms of beaches, that sand actually washes away like every year. Every time you go back to Florida, they've replenished the beaches. They've put new sand on it, often sand that they've dredged up from the ocean which causes even more harm. And so this sustainable alternative for sand is actually something that is going to be very valuable very soon um, once we realize how terrible dredging is and once we truly run out of the mined sand that we're getting. Um, and so that's where my co-founder and I really found um, kind of our niche is that like, we need this coarser, more specific type of sand. We have all of this glass waste in New Orleans and not just New Orleans, but all of Louisiana. So why not combine those two issues and, and have one solution? You know, Will, I got to ask you, the, I think of uh, Cajun French as a little bit different uh, than the, the French I learned. It's kind of like a patois, which I just threw that word around just to, you know, kind of impress you. Is, uh, I expect to be fluent in French by the end of the show. But is that true? Is it, um, is it not a pure French no, well, so um, Cajun French or Louisiana French is just a, a dialect of French, just like any other dialect. And so that there is some truth there that, of course, it's not the same as Parisian French, but we've kind of, or in popular culture, especially until recently, we went in the other extreme where we basically started thinking that it wasn't even French, right? Like it's not even mutually intelligible with French, which which is not true. And so um, we have a we have a good, um, uh, we, we created a good animated video with uh, Codafil, which is called Quasi Salle Francais Louisiane. So what is Louisiana French? In which we explain in Louisiana French, in Cajun French, what is French, what is Louisiana French? Is it French? How is it related to other varieties of French? Um, and so basically what it is, it's just like Quebecois French or Swiss French or Belgian French, um, except a little bit more different given the geographic isolation of, of Louisiana French speakers. Um, but right, so it's basically just, it's like um, Louisiana English, you know what I mean? We speak a little bit different than they speak in, in Britain, but it's almost for the most part, very mutually intelligible. And so that's what we've discovered um, with Louisiana French or Cajun French uh, versus international French. And then one of the other things that's so fascinating and that we've learned doing this work is that there's not just one you know, Louisiana French or one Cajun French, there's a variety of different dialects in Louisiana. And that's something that is often, um, uh, overlooked as well, kind of in, in popular culture, in that, um, you know, I've spoken to obviously Cajuns that speak French in Louisiana, immersion kids that speak French in Louisiana, French expats, expats from other Francophone countries from West Africa, the Homa Indians that still speak French, many as a first language down in the Bayou parishes, obviously numerous Creoles, Black Creoles, White Creoles, Mixed Creoles. Um, and so all those different groups, and then also the regional differences have 
all their own, you know, Frenches and Creoles. But at the same time, um, one thing that we've noticed and what we try to focus is both within Louisiana, there's much more in common, uh, both on the language front and the cultural front. And then also looking to our international connections, the vast majority of those dialects are still very much um, um, intelligible with international French. And so that's a huge advantage because that means that that opens us up to economic exchange with Francophone countries, Creolophone countries. And so, um, yeah, we have a window of opportunity where we can keep these dialects alive and try to catapult them into the future, especially in the context of these immersion schools we have. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Will McGrew from French language media studio Tele Louisiane and Fran Troutman from glass recycling company Glass Half Full. Hey, Fran, I got to ask you, when I was a younger man, um, and growing up in Massachusetts, we'd have like these blowout parties and the next morning we'd wake up and nobody had any money and our currency was to recycle these glass bottles um, for a nickel each or such. But w- what was going on with bottles then? Were they just being cleaned and uh, put back into circulation or, or were they being uh, created into sand? Um, yeah, so most, most recycling um, that happens within municipalities, especially with those bottle bills, is that... It'll get crushed into sand and then remelted and made into new glass. Um, that's generally how recycling works, which is why glass is so beautiful and that it can be endlessly recyclable. It's like a circular economy. You know, you make the bottle, you crush it, you make a new bottle. Um, and it just keeps going and keeps going because glass will never lose its properties. It can be endlessly recyclable. Um, and so, yeah, that's generally what happens in municipalities and with those bottle bills and that's actually the best way to get people to recycle. You, you get every echelon of society when you have these bottle bills, because even, you know, people who don't care about sustainability will be like, well, I can make a nickel on this. That's awesome. And then people who do care about sustainability will be like, I don't care about the nickel. I want to recycle. And that's how you make it work. You know, those who don't care about the nickel will pay for those who do. And, you know, you talk about people getting together i guess this is maybe more during covid but i've gone to your location with my my bottles there and despite in keeping social distancing and all that but it's sort of a social event i've never been there where i didn't meet a a couple of folks i knew yeah that's one of the things that's one of our biggest goals is making recycling this fun and exciting thing and you know making an event and come out and drop off your bottles and don't be embarrassed of how many wine bottles and vodka bottles you have just embrace it you know we're all in the same boat and i think that's how we were so success successful despite um you know being born dur- during covid you know most businesses failed and um we were able to to kind of keep this new orleans spirit going and like come recycle come like show us how much you've been drinking like we're all going through it <laughs> just the opposite of whether what, what other towns would have there it's like 10 tequila bottles bob i think you have a problem you know it's uh the- <laughs> The it, well, I think the thing a lot of people would be surprised at um, is that we think of this this French uh, uh, Cajun French and Creole French as, as really being only around the Lafayette area. But mm-hmm. the you're in New Orleans, and there's an interest statewide, right? There really is. There definitely is an interest statewide. I mean, both um, you know historically, really French was spoken throughout Louisiana, and this idea that it just you know New Orleans is not part of Acadiana. I mean, technically it's not part of the region that um, is Acadiana, but in terms of the, that was just a decision that was made in the legislature, I think in the sixties or seventies, but in terms of the historical and cultural reality, 
Um, both hit, you know, in the past, French was very present, Creole was very present here in Louisiana. Um, there's numerous musicians, famous people like A.P. Thoreau, obviously families like the, the Chase family in terms of from music to culinary to architecture, et cetera. Those roots are very here. Um, but then also in the present, what we realize is like with the French immersion schools, I think New Orleans has the most students in French immersion um, of any parish in the state. Um, and then in terms of number of French speakers, I think it's in, in terms of numbers, it's it's near the top. It's just that in terms of percentage, since we have such a large um, city, obviously, compared to other parts of the state. And we've obviously since the early 20th century, when you know a lot of English speaking residents came in, we experienced much more growth than, say, you know, um, Iberia Parish or or some of the other or Lafouche, for example, um, some of the other smaller parishes where there's a larger percentage wide Francophone presence. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's one of the things that we really tried to emphasize is that, of course, um, there's the language aspect to this, but really the reason why we care about French language in Louisiana, it has um, less to do with like France as a country, although, you know, I admire France, I've been to France, I've learned a lot of studying like French literature and philosophy and stuff, but really it's because of the links with Louisiana and how we're trying to double down on um, our cultural assets, but also our environmental assets. That's why I think it's so interesting what y'all are doing in terms of recycling glass in kind of in this moment where um, we need to diversify our economy. And it seems like there's some efforts, but it's I'm not really sure if there is a, a, a strategic plan um, that's um, right, that's on track, right? I think there we might need to do some catch up to on that diversification front. And so why not look at our cultural assets and help create this kind of circular economy that Fran was talking about. Um, and we view it very similarly where it's like, we have this culture, let's create the media in infrastructure to create um, programming based on that culture. And then that programming educates. Um, and so other people can learn about the culture and then create their own content or learn to create products or services related to Louisiana culture, but then it also promotes. And so it makes, it creates Louisiana fans all around the world who either want to come visit here, come live here, come invest their money here, um, et cetera. And so, yes, that's, that's the key is really kind of emphasizing our commonalities across Louisiana, um, both in the French language, but then also the ways in which the French language is tied into festivals, food, music, um, and everything else we love about living here. And Fran, I'd like to uh, talk to you about on the business side of things here. Uh, first of all, the machinery that turns glass into sand, I would imagine, is not inexpensive. I, uh, I couldn't do this at home, for instance. That would, uh, and then where do, you, where do you sell the sand? I, the only thing I can think of is, um, uh, is like the sandbags that s help us survive each of the floods. Is it bigger than that? Yeah, um, there's a million different avenues that we can take, and we're taking a couple at one time. Um, so one avenue is sandbags we gave away a lot of sandbags this year for the crazy hurricane season we've had and that's going to keep happening you know we'll always have hurricanes um, we'll always need sandbags here in new orleans where we're below sea level um, and then more creative ways so for example one kind of division of glass half full that we started is called nola alchemy in which we create new glass products and not necessarily new bottles because that didn't really interest us but we create bracelets, um, we create necklaces, we're hopefully creating Mardi Gras beads. So using recycled glass, melting it down and then creating something more beautiful and something that solves another problem like the plastic issue during Mardi Gras. Um, so creating Mardi Gras beads, we're also partnering with Crew of Red Beans on their bean coin. 
um, initiative. So we'll be making little beans. Um, there's so many different things that we can do. And then one of our really long-term goals is using the actual sand for rebuilding our coast. And my background's in chemical engineering. So I'm kind of heading up that research aspect and seeing, you know, can we just put plain old sand? Can we make it even better? Maybe we can filter out phosphates. Maybe we can filter out heavy metals. You know, the possibilities are endless, but um, one thing I know is that we'll always need sand, so. <laughs> and Fran, you, you uh, when I was reading about the company, you have all these new initiatives that either haven't quite gone off the uh, uh, the starting point yet or not, but what are they? I mean, you, I read somewhere where you've got even a couple of pilot programs for uh, uh, picking up at the home again. Yeah, so that initiative has actually taken off. We have 1,100 people on the waiting list to get um, their glass picked up from their house, and we're servicing about 300 people. Um, so that's a really popular program. The next will be bars and restaurants, picking up from them. I mean, they're our biggest producers of glass, and that's something we really want to get started this year. And Will, I, I know you've you've heard this several times because of what you do, but uh, when I talk to people from that region, uh, the, the Lafayette region, uh, it's always the same conversation. It's that uh, they are very sad that their their grandparents and parents had, had stopped speaking Cajun French in the house and uh, and wish they had they could still do it and um, and I guess it was more than uh, I mean there was a state law right it kind of banning French from the schools I mean this, Louisiana did this to itself a hundred percent yes definitely and I think that's another uh, misconception is that there's there's this idea that by bringing French back we want to kind of like return to colonial times which is not at all the situation or not at all the objective. It's instead a more of an understanding that in fact, French and Creole and the different dialects of, of, um, of the languages that have existed here weren't very much native languages and heritage languages for million, you know, millions of Louisianans, hundreds of thousands of Louisianans um, for years, really for over a century after Louisiana became part of the United States. And really that's exactly what happened is that um, people would say, oh, well, it just kind of naturally died off. Um, which there might be some truth that there were some natural trends, but really there was a, a really aggressive um, political and economic effort starting in the, the early 20th century um, to uh, extinguish French from professional life in Louisiana. And so there used to be literally, this is surprising for many people to hear, but hundreds of um, newspapers in, in French in, in every parish, including in Louisiana, I mean, in, in New Orleans Parish, um, then there were, you know, songs written in French, um, including in, in New Orleans, you know, businesses in French, schools in French, um, it, it, you know, the list goes on, all, all, all institutions that we have in English. Um, but right, basically in the early 20th century, I think a lot of it was related to influx of, of English speakers with the oil industry, but also other, other industries. Um, it was decided and it was also kind of simultaneously with the immigration from Europe and not not to new well to new orleans but also to the country in general and then finally with the jim crow movement and so those confluence of economic and political factors kind of got forced behind a homogenization cultural homogenization movement um and so in 1921 exactly 100 years ago um the constitution of louisiana forbid the teaching of french in schools um and so it's kind of a big we're trying to find a way in the community how to market 100 years later that still there are native french speakers here um, despite that. Um, so yes, definitely. It was it was a choice. And so that's what we always say is that we can choose to to do things differently and, and create a new future for future generations. Fran, I just can't, these, I, if, whatever number you told me, I would believe, but uh, um, 
How much does it cost to make sand and how much do you sell it for? Um, that's a good question. We're still kind of figuring that out. I mean, the actual process of breaking the glass down and then turning it into sand is a money losing process. And that's why we're kind of supplementing it with these service based products that we have, like the pickup of from your home or from your restaurant or bar. So it's kind of those those people who are willing to pay are subsidizing the recycling for those people who aren't willing to pay. Sort of like the, how the bottle bill works, you know, how the poor people who want to make the money off of the bottle are paid by the people who don't care about making a nickel off of a bottle. Um, so we're sort of subsidizing that process in order to make it work. You know, Fran, I just got to tell you, I teach at Tulane, so I meet, work with a lot of young people with a lot of great ideas. What is it that made this work? I mean, you must have been just a lot more dedicated than your average young student. That's probably had something to do with it. I mean, we were recycling in a backyard right off of Tulane's campus for like four months before we got a warehouse. I think it was that grit. And I think people really were drawn to that. They were like, these kids are insane, but I'm I'm with it. Like they're going to make it if they're this crazy this early on. Um, and I think that's what's kept us going as well as our crazy creative ideas, you know, like bean coin or Mardi Gras beads or coastal restoration. You know, most people are like, that's impossible. We're saying, so what? We're going to try anyway. Will, I started to look at the products you produce and the films and such, but the one that really grabbed me was the Adventures of Boudini, which seems to be kind of an animated, oh, Cajun French uh, Dora the Explorer. Is, uh, is this kind of where you're going? Yes, indeed. That is, in fact, um, now or almost our, one, our most popular video, but that is a video, um, a series rather, we're producing with Codafil and the Immersion Schools. And so it's, I think it's a good model of um, our, our business model, basically, which just shows that there's a demand here for the content. And so we got funding from the state and from the immersion schools um, to produce that educational content. And so they're learning lessons in Louisiana history and social studies curriculum, but then also lessons about Louisiana French language. Um, but in fact, if you look at the views on that video, almost half of the views now are up to 40% of the views are, are international. And so there's a huge demand kind of for these stories, even though they're super Louisiana, like hyper local Louisiana stories, um, there's a real interest to, to kind of learn more about it. And so, um, yes, so we just launched the first episode about a month ago, and we will have a new episode every six weeks um, this year. And so um, check it out, learn a little bit about Louisiana and um, brush up on your, on your Louisiana French. <laughs> there's a school of thought in business creativity that says there's no such thing as a bad idea. There's just bad execution. And that's in the same category as there's no bad dogs, no bad kids. If you've ever had a pet, been a teacher, had to listen to business pitches, you'll know that none of those statements are true. There are plenty of misguided business ideas, but it's also easy to take a great idea and mess it up in the execution. Fran and Will, you're both demonstrating how smart execution can turn a great idea into a profitable business. It's not as easy as it looks, and it's never as quick as you'd like it to be, but it's inspirational to know that here in New Orleans, there is a new generation of young people with fresh ideas and the talent to bring them to life. We look forward to following your continued success. Thank you both, Fran and Will, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. 
Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Fran Troutman, co-founder and co-director of Glass Half Full, and Will McGrew, founder and CEO of Telelusian. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Fran's glass recycling and Will's French language business by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. One of these days soon. We're going to go back to hosting out to lunch around the lunch table. Until then, Commander's Palace is open for lunch Wednesday to Friday, dinner seven nights a week, and jazz brunch on the weekends. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.